0: You, know, you can buy technical expertise into any organisation, but getting the right blend of character and you have to have an ultimate point of accountability in an organisation. Also to be a successful business person in the arts, you have to be highly creative to make the organisation work. You know, Change Management 101, don't go into an organisation and tell people they're doing it wrong. <laughs> That's not going to get you very far. <laughs>
1: IMHO invites you to be the judge. In this podcast, we turn the microphone back on the leaders of the arts and entertainment industry and ask them to tell us what they really think. These are their unflinching and unfiltered answers and their honest opinions. Hello and welcome to the IMHO podcast. My name is Adam Bruins and today I am coming to you from Festival House in Brisbane, home of the Queensland Music Festival. And we're joined today by one of Australia's preeminent artistic leaders known for his transformative work in contemporary music, but coming from a background in film. It is Joel Edmondson, the Executive Director of Queensland Music Festival. Joel, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Joel, your history and and I guess the the path that has brought you here to QMF is a rather surprising one. You've made a career out of change management and in particular in flipping arts organisations. How did you find this calling and become somewhat of an expert
0: in this particular space? Accidentally. um, I started out uh, as a filmmaker and film is in many ways really my continuing passion, not as a producer of it but as a lover of cinema as the kind of total art form, I guess. So I did um, film studies, digital media production at Griffith as my undergrad degree and then I very um, fortunately won a full scholarship to do my master's in music in the community at University of Edinburgh and during that time I spent a year studying what's called the biopsychosocial elements of music and music making so how does music interact with us physically um socially and psychologically at five in the morning I'd get up and pick up a whole bag of instruments and go out into the horizontal rain at four o'clock in the morning in Edinburgh in the (laughs) middle of winter and get a two-hour train out to um to schools in a very impoverished part of Scotland Uh, And then did a lot of work uh, on research projects developing new musical instruments for children, particularly on the autistic spectrum. So when I came back to Australia and there wasn't really, Europe is so much further ahead in terms of that research than Australia. I took a research management job with an aged care provider because I needed a job. And at the time, I was also involved with a group of people who ran a um, DIY warehouse venue in Red Hill called The Hangar that was underneath a sex shop. Um, that we ran, uh, we did gigs there for four or five years pretty much every weekend for, you Providing know. writing
1: soundtracks to the upstairs.
0: <laughs> That's <laughs> right, wire <La> pedal only. <laughs> um, and, uh, and we had a label called Low Fly out of there. So it was, you know, an artist-run DIY label essentially. So I kind of had these two parts of my life going of being involved in a community of people that was, doing really interesting music in Brisbane, and then I had this kind of more corporate research job that I was doing. Um, But in that job, I became frustrated really quickly with the reality that you can have all the evidence and the research and the ideas that you want, but unless you can actually get people to change by using that information, the information means nothing. After that, I moved to Melbourne to pursue music, essentially, but I fell into this quite high demand high stress high paying job in the reform of local government and fortunately around the time my wife became pregnant there was this opportunity that came up to come and run Q Music for those listeners who don't know Q Music is the Queensland Music Industry Development Association's best known for delivering big sound everywhere in Brisbane and i just lucked my way into that job right at the time when you know we'd become pregnant it was time to move back and That was really the moment of me being able to bring all these different skills around kind of music, music industry, change management, research, all into one job and and go beyond being the guy leading the team trying to make change in the organisation to the guy who, you know, could make the decisions to really make change work.
1: Do you think that leadership is a thing that can be learned or are people born... Natural leaders?
0: I don't think they're mutually exclusive things, but I think certainly conscientiousness is a really important trait of a leader. Like you have to mean well and be concerned about the well being of other people is really important if you want to develop the trust for people to follow you. You know, you can buy technical expertise into any organization, but getting the right blend of character and personality and those personalities gelling with each other like a team that works is the number one thing that Mm. counts
1: and 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 you mentioned you know you had quite a lucky but unusual experience where you did have that corporate experience within the aged care sector alongside an artist-led music startup I imagine or, or incubator in terms of artistic leadership Do you think that it's a business leader with an artistic interest or an artist with business acumen that makes for a better artistic leader?
0: I think it's an artist with business acumen, but that doesn't mean that you have to be a leading artist. You have to understand art deeply. You have to understand what makes good art. You have to understand um, what audiences relate to and want to see. The other technical management of the business is also, you know, such an important skill, but I just don't feel that if you imported someone with really, really strong pure business skills into this sector just because they like a bit of art, that's not going to work because I've seen it happen in organisations, particularly in GM roles. There's a level of disdain for the knowledge that we have in our sector and the perception that, oh, well, you haven't been doing it right and I'm here to tell you how to do it, right? And, you know, Change Management 101, don't go into an organisation and tell people they're doing it wrong. (laughs) That's not going to get you very far. (laughs) Even if you think it. Yeah, yeah. But I I think, you know, conversely, organisations being handed over to people who go, here's my vision and I think this is important and then the organisation following the delivery of that doesn't always necessarily lead to the best outcome either.
1: And then what about at a board level then? Because most arts organisations, particularly those here in Queensland, have a volunteer board yeah. that is comprised of, you know, the, the state's leading professionals from various business industries or professional services industries, rarely cultural Is this kind of modelling, and in particular when an artistic leadership team is fundamentally answerable to a board, how does that work or not work?
0: I think in practice there's a high degree of trust of the artistic leaders and CEOs, (laughs) executive directors running these organisations. I think the the question that I always ask about these kind of organisational design features of the art sector is... If we were to invent it today, what would be the decisions that we would make knowing what we do about organisational behaviour and the design of organisations? And you do need levers of accountability to make sure that there's equitable contribution in boards. I think most people who run these kinds of organisations would say that generally they have the support of their boards but there's some people who are really, really invested and give it their all and other people who presentees in a sense and attend board meetings and then, you know, they're on the board but it's very much carried by certain people on the boards. And I think for those who are giving their all, that's a wonderful contribution but it's also not fair given that it's a volunteer position and that you can burn board members out that way. But also I think on the other end where you have the more presenting board members who just attend, there's perhaps a little bit of a misunderstanding that the reason that you're on a board is to support the organisation. So, the more people you have on a board who aren't really contributing and active, that's actually just increasing the load on the organisation rather than taking it off. And, you know, if you have a fee that boards are being paid, that's a different lever of accountability that you can sort of invoke to ensure that there's an equitable contribution mm-hmm. across that board.
1: And you, you mentioned earlier the question about if we were inventing the arts sector today, how would we build it from the ground up? How, how would things be different, do you think, if we were in, in inventing or designing the industry now?
0: Well, I think if you think about how any small business works in terms of understanding demand and its market, it would be built around a clear understanding of what audiences want. And I think that's still the major struggle for our sector is that the audience development piece isn't happening partly because we don't actually understand our audiences. Mm.
1: The, the way that cultural organisations are set up um, and administrated is quite different to other industries mm. in that more often than not, in particular here in Queensland, we've got dual leaders at the top. So, there's the, the artistic leader and quite often a CEO or an executive director. In your experience, how effective is is this model? And
0: and really, if, if two people are in charge, who's really in charge? If you asked any organisation design expert when you were setting up a company... How many ultimate leaders of this organisation should we have for it to work? The answer across a sample of 100 million experts would be one because you have to have an ultimate point of accountability in an organisation. And I think that part of the design of that model comes from a time when you had artists and you had people who ran businesses. To be a successful artist these days you have to really understand the business of what we do. But also to be a successful business person in the arts, you have to be highly creative to make the organisation work. There's a huge amount of creativity in developing an organisation and its place in society and how its brand works and the conversation that you have with the public about it. Ultimately, though, that model is set up as a theoretical model of having two heads that ignores the reality that unless those two people are of compatible personalities and intent and desires and drives you're going to have conflict that then spills down into the rest of the organization I don't think there's a hard and fast role about which of those people should be the driver it's all contextual in the organization but you have to decide on that one person who's ultimately going to make that decision. And in the end, the board should really be the ones who are deciding what they're most comfortable with being the driver of the organisation because you also don't want a situation where with those structures, the board then and particularly a volunteer board has to become the mediator of that relationship as well. That's not a useful implementation of the very scarce resource of a volunteer board. Mm.
1: In, In in terms of art and culture, more broadly speaking, what do you think Queensland does better than anyone else in the country?
0: I think it does better not pretending that it does better. So I think that we're not in a unhelpful binary competition that Sydney and Melbourne are sometimes in, and we're kind of left on the fringes of that to do our own thing which well, they
1: just assume we're not doing better yeah. so they just, <laughs> yeah. just leave us
0: be yeah, yeah that's right you know I think born of the what's in our genes around sort of emerging from a post the era and the arts being a sort of maligned and intimidated part of our society there is a natural inclination for people to sort of collaborate and get on with it I mean there's a lot of talk at the moment in the sector about the need to collaborate more effectively. My personal experience is that there's a lot of really great collaboration. Where there's not, I think it's, there's a need to have a conversation about, well, what's in and what's out? What are the boundaries that we need to say, this is going to be us and there is a competitive element to it? And what's going to be fair game for collaboration and partnership? But I don't think we've quite evolved to the point where we can have that kind of transparent a conversation as a group of organisations where we actually admit that, yes, there are some things that we're going to be territorial and tribal around. You
1: mentioned just now, you know, the, that we compete for audiences as organisations. and And one of the things we touched on is the fact that, you know, most organisations struggle with the fact that they don't know who their audience is. Do you think that audiences do pick and choose or, or choose between experiences or do they tend to go to the things that they want to see regardless of who it is or where it is?
0: Or oh, I, I, I think there's so many different kinds of audiences that you can't really pick between those two options as descriptors. I also think, just coming back to my previous comment, that we're not just competing with other live experiences we're competing with screens we're competing with the amount of hours people have to work distraction on email social media time with family so I think that's why really focusing on like what is the value of the experience that you're offering people and I think that's where QMF in the work that it does has developed a really amazing model in that The value is about building people's capacity to share their own story about themselves in a musical context, develop relationships in their local community through that engagement rather than it being a completely passive form of entertainment when there is so much of that available.
1: One of the challenges you said that QMF has faced is delivering quality artistic experiences throughout the state and and in particular to some regional and remote communities. And you highlighted that it's it's not enough just to deliver an experience but that it needs to be a good one. Mm. Do you think that bad artistic experiences are ruining audiences or diminishing audiences is perhaps a better way?
0: I think if you're trying to convert people who've never been exposed to particular art forms to appreciating them, you don't have many chances to win your customer over. So I do agree. But I I think it's more ruinous generally to the producers of art themselves because there's so much competition for attention as well. So for those people who are, you know, regular patrons of the arts... There, I was going to go on to something else. And people love a bitch and a gossip as well. Like, bad art makes for good water cooler <laughs> fodder. People love to talk about, you know, what they didn't like about something, which is, I guess, a form of entertainment. Yeah.
1: Joe, you, you touched earlier on the fact that there are some very exciting changes on the cards for QMF as it enters its 21st year in 2020. I understand that you can't reveal all at this point, but what does the future
0: look like for QMF? If there's an impact that really matters with our work in communities, it's a, it's increasingly about regional understanding. And by that, I mean the rest of metropolitan Australia really understanding the experience of people in the regions because there's an increasing divide between the lived experience of people in the country and people in the city and incentivizing people getting out there into the bush, regional remote places, the outback, whatever you want to call it, and really engaging with the story of place and really valuing those places, but also really understanding what it's like to live in places that are quite affected by climate change already and really enhancing that understanding as well. And from an economic development perspective, I think investment in helping people tell their own stories through music isn't of maximum value if no one's there to see it. And You know, the arts can be an amazing lever around tourism and getting people to go to places that they wouldn't go to. So, there's a whole support that we're trying to provide to regional remote Queensland with this kind of art making. One of the other focuses for us moving forward is... Having a more distributed um, programming model, so we've we've worked with most of the major performing arts companies in delivering the festival this year, and continuing to use the festival as a framework for empowering other organisations, which I think is the remit of these funded state organisations.
1: Mm. Joel, to round out our interviews, we love to do a quick fire round that we like to call Five Honest Answers. Joel, if you had the power to ban one production or performer, what or who would it be?
0: Uh, I think uh, Milo Yiannopoulos, you know, the right-wing shock shock commentator. Oh, right, 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 yep. That to me is theatre. It's a theatrical performance and it's the worst kind. (laughs) Uh, What's the strangest fan or audience behaviour you've observed? Singing out loud in a concert where none of the rest of the audience is singing. Do you smuggle food into theatres? Sometimes, but that's mainly so my daughter doesn't have a meltdown when I've got her in there with me.
1: In your opinion, is it more important for cultural experiences to be entertaining or important?
0: Entertaining only because uh, personally if I'm watching something that doesn't make me feel something which I'm more likely to feel something from something that is entertaining rather than completely cerebral, I, I can't stay with something that's got no emotion in it. I want to leave feeling something. So, I think entertaining works are probably a little bit more likely to do that.
1: Joel, to finish us off, this one is potentially political, but I'd love to know, and I expect the listeners would also, what's your favourite Queensland event? It would be
0: dishonest if I didn't say Big Sam because that was four years of my life, but I'm sure QMF will completely win my heart by the time another four years has passed. You look
1: forward to finding a new favourite Queensland event. (laughs) (laughs) You've been listening to the IMHO podcast. We've been joined by Joel Edmondson, the brilliant Executive Director of Queensland Music Festival. Joel, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. And thank you for tuning in. Thanks for listening to IMHO. Make sure you subscribe and, in the spirit of the podcast, rate and review us wherever you listen to great podcasts. For honest opinions, ratings you can relate to and the latest arts and entertainment news, check out inmyhonestopinion.com.au.